Welcome to the School for Dental Entrepreneurs, the only podcast that provides actionable insights into the dental industry. Brought to you by Emitter, the leading communication platform for your dental practice. And now, here is your host, Anmol Oberoi. Hello, everyone. Welcome to yet another exciting episode of the School for Healthcare Entrepreneurs. Today, we have with us a very exciting guest joining the podcast. We have with us Dr. MJ Hanlon, who's currently the Associate Dean of Clinical Affairs at Tufts University School of Dental Medicine, and also the President of Massachusetts Dental Society. Dr. Dr. MJ Hanlon started her career in dentistry at, the, at a very young age of 14. She also is the host of Women in Dentistry podcast, and, and I would highly recommend everybody listening to it. Dr. MJ Hanlon is here to talk about her experience during COVID and what she thinks is going to change in the world of dentistry in a post-COVID world. Thanks a lot, Dr. MJ Hanlon, for being on the podcast. I'm super excited about this one. Anamal, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, so, so MJ, just to jump right into the, the podcast and, and discuss your story, I think uh, uh, you know, a good next step would be if we can start with your journey. How did it start uh, when you were 14 and, and what has kept you going for so long? So I guess I just love dentistry. I don't know what, what precipitated my interest in it at 14, but I came home one day after school and said, told my mom I was going to be a dentist. It took me a long time to get there. I, I didn't actually attain my dental degree until I was almost 40. Uh, but in between that time, I worked in every position there was. I was uh, the kid after school who you know, was teaching everyone how to brush their teeth and trimming models for an orthodontic office to um, I became a dental assistant after I finished my college degree and then went to hygiene school first. I practiced for 15 years, then decided that I needed to accomplish my goal of becoming a dentist and went back to school. Wow. Well, that's exciting. And, uh, and you know, I always ask everybody, uh, one thing that I have noticed with uh, the leaders that we've had on the podcast is once somebody gets into the world of dentistry, it's, it's very hard mm-hmm. to get them out. And, and they just yeah. feel so passionate about it. Is, is it a very similar feeling uh, that you relate to as well? It, it is, absolutely. I, I must say that I've left a couple of times during my young, younger years, and right. I always came back to dentistry. Um, dentistry is a very collaborative, very small industry. And right. I find that, you know, over time, you just get to know everybody. And so there's a lot of comfort to that. And as you get more involved in organized dentistry, I think that, you know, you, you learn all the players and you meet everyone and everyone knows who you are. So I feel like it's just one big fit, happy family. Absolutely. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. I've, uh, to be honest, I've just spent, you know, very few years compared to your experience in the industry, but I, I can just feel it, right? It's, it's, uh, it's a small industry. Everybody's so connected and helpful uh, that so it just true. feels like a small family. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, so, so MJ, just for the audience, maybe um, it would be great if you can tell us a little bit about your current role as the president and, uh, you know, also as the associate dean. Uh, what does that role look like and, and, and what are your current uh, responsibilities? What do you look at? So right now, you know, for work on a day-to-day basis, I run all the clinical operations for Tufts University. So 
Uh, we have two programs. Uh, we have postgraduate programs and we have undergraduate programs. And uh, we have about 125 residents that we uh, teach every year. And then t in total, we have uh, just over 400 uh, undergraduate students in the clinic and another 400 in the preclinical space. Wow. So when COVID hit, our first and second year students were, um, you know, not invited on campus. And so they stayed away until, um, you know, the beginning of uh, this, this past month, uh, January. And we uh, have seen a great transition of them coming back. It's nice to see the building busy again. Um, and then as president of the Mass Snell Society, I took over July 1st of last year. It was a little bit of a bumpy road. We, when I first took over five days later, our executive di director um, unfortunately died. And so we had just hired him. And unfortunately, we had to start that whole process up all over again. So our focus wasn't really on uh, what was going on with um, uh, outside of COVID. Um, it was very focused on the COVID issues and dealing with that particular issue. So it kind of was a bumpy uh, first six months. And then, you know, with the, with all the COVID vaccination processes happening and, and I don't know what state you're in, but the state of Massachusetts was very slow in, um, accepting the fact that, that, uh, dentists are essential healthcare workers. And we were in the last part of the first group where, you know, it's, it, it seems really un unbelievable at this point to, to realize that, you know, people who were making those decisions didn't understand how close we were working with aerosols and that when patients, when we see our patients, they don't have masks on. You know, you go into the hospital, you go into the emergency room, at least you can keep your mask on. Right. You can't do that in a dental office. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's been a busy year. Right. Right. I can imagine. And, and I'm sure that, um, you know, while we go through the conversation, there's so much more we will learn from your experience. Mm -hmm. uh, and and you spoke about you know uh, that uh, you know some uh, a certain cohort of the students were not allowed to visit the uh, visit mm -hmm. the uh, you know university physically. Um, what what was that experience like? You know, I'm assuming uh, while they're, they're, it's remote is great and and things are moving remote uh, faster than we can imagine. But uh, you know, what was that experience like from uh, you know both the students' perspective and and from your perspective? How did you essentially manage and bridge that gap? Well, because it was such a tragic, quick um, decision that had to be made on that, I don't think that any one of us, you know, understood the impact that it was going to have. First of all, from my perspective, it was very quiet, right? There, there wasn't anybody in the school for several months. And then when they did come back, um, the one thing that we did learn is that much of the learning, the didactic courses can be done remotely. So in my mind, I'm thinking quite honestly that, that we can actually deliver the first year or two of our uh, preclinical education remotely. Yeah. And how can we accomplish that? I think that as soon as our 3D simulators become desktop simulators, that we'll be able to, you know, send all those simulators out to students and allow them to practice remotely. Therefore, you know, decreasing the overhead to the school, but also decreasing the overhead and the expense to the students. Absolutely. 
absolutely that's mm-hmm. great and 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 i always uh, you know every time i speak to someone about the impact of covid um it 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 just makes me realize so much more that of course uh, there was so much which ha- i mean there's so much negative but if you focus on the positive there is also a lot of positive that has come out there was of it. A, yes there was a lot of positive i think that came out of it and i think that we can do much more than we ever uh, expected to do before i think that covid has pushed us a lot uh for many good positive perspectives one being that we know we can do better with our remote learning and we can meet via zoom we don't have to meet in person all the time absolutely uh, it makes things much more efficient much more inexpensive we haven't had a in person meeting at the dental society many of the meetings that we would have would be you know not cost prohibitive but there would be a cost associated because there would be breakfast there would be lunch right. you know afternoon snacks and then send everybody on their way where you know this way now we don't have that expense number 1 number 2 we're being much more efficient with our time so if we have to meet you know twice a month instead of once a month all day at nighttime it actually allows our dentists who are working to still work and do this at the same time and volunteer absolutely so i think it's made us much more efficient absolutely absolutely i completely agree with you and uh, hopefully it, it it has sort of pushed us to think uh, you know more creatively and mm-hmm. and in what more ways can we become efficient maybe some things we never focused on but now right. it has given us these ideas that hey if this can be done remotely and you know it can be done online then maybe something else also can be done online mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. great great and and you spoke about uh, you know students coming back now and uh, maybe partially uh, just trying just just want to understand that uh, was there some sort of education that you had to do there just to make them feel safe that you know they will be f- uh, safe in the university uh and and what was that process like and and also just want to understand your perspective that uh, uh do you think with covid um you know the the graduates uh, the the students who are going to get who are, who are going to graduate is it going to impact them in any way is there is there a reduction in the demand of dentists or or how's that going to impact so you've got a lot of questions in that that very small section of time there on well but um i will start with what i remember is is the students coming back the training that we did was all um video training to to get them more aware of what it's going to be like to to come back right. um what we have found is that um you know young people are are still students and they still think that you know um uh, big groups can be together uh we're still finding that there's a fair amount of covid um positive covid cases happening at the school uh not a lot but you know enough that we we're concerned about it and we're trying to keep um minimal uh impact social distancing is uh, is is becoming an issue um you know making sure that they 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 stay apart when where they are uh congregating making right. sure that they eat lunch apart all of those sorts of things are really different and very hard for them and i understand it's 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 really hard i think it's been hard mentally on all of us um i saw somebody today who um you know a colleague of mine who was out for cancer therapy and i i couldn't help but i had to give her a hug you know and i haven't hugged somebody in such a long time and i don't really care if you know 
I mean, I just really wanted to give her a hug because she's just been through the worst, you yeah. know, six months of her life. And, you know, it was hard. Um, it was hard to see her go through that, but also hard to, to, you know, to, to know that she was by herself during that time. I mean, obviously she had family and everything, but I really missed her. So, right. you know, it was nice to see her back. Um, from a positive standpoint, you know, I think that they understand that they, they are becoming essential healthcare workers, that they, they can have an impact on their community. So that is a positive. Uh, one of the, the, the biggest things I think that saddest things for me as dentists, we always have to be learning, right? It's, that's why they call it the practice of dentistry. We're practicing every single day. We learn every single day. We take CEs all the time. That's the reason why we take all the CEs that we do. Um, these students, I think the last couple of years and moving forward are going to need to take additional CEs because the amount of experiences that we're able to give them, although we've done great making these virtual experiences for the first and second years, the in-person patient experience, we're still seeing that we're only at 75% capacity. Uh, and that sometimes is even lower than that because of cancellations and all of those types of things. Uh, but one of the things that's, that I see on a regular basis is that the students, you know, are not getting the, the quality of the patients that they really need to get the experiences that they need in order to graduate. Right. So right. they're going to have to keep learning. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, uh, like you clearly pointed out, you're in the practice of dentistry and, mm -hmm. and they're going to have to keep learning and maybe this learning is just going to increase. Um, mm -hmm. Every time I speak to a dentist, he uh, they, they they always highlight that, you know, it's it's so much learning. It's always evolving, and mm -hmm. at the dental school, you you probably learn a lot about um, you know oral health, and and how to be good at being a dentist. But just when you step out and and have your private practice, it's so much more. Right? There is insurance. There are claims. There's so much to do. Yeah, from the business perspective, there's so much to do, and we don't have time in the curriculum to add business curriculum in depth to it. So, you know, all of that. And I think too, one of the biggest misconceptions is that, you know, people say all the time, well, why don't you just put it in the curriculum? Well, the right. problem is that a lot of the students coming to dental school have never experienced what it's like to be in an office. So they can't relate. Right. So you can talk about insurance claims up the wazoo, but, you know, unless they understand what the process is for a patient coming in and that whole patient journey, there's no way to explain that to a naive student Absolutely. with enough that they can relate to it. So it's better to do business education between the first and five years out of, of dental school. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, those are some great insights, uh, uh, you know, and, uh, and, and now that we've spoken about, uh, you know, what has been the experience at a student front, uh, maybe we can jump and, and speak a little bit about uh, what has been the impact on the industry as such. Um, so, you know, just from your experience and uh, working with so many dentists, uh, was keen to learn um, what have you seen as the impact of COVID on in the dental industry? And, you know, you could talk about anything. Maybe do you have uh, examples of production numbers being impacted? Or, or was this, uh, for example, we are hearing time and again that a lot of staff members left and they never returned. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, so that's very true. 
Absolutely. And so what yeah. are the different impacts that you've seen? So really big um, negative impacts have been uh, that we've had a huge exodus of hygienists and dental assistants from the, from the industry. Um, uh, there's a, a Facebook group out there that a friend of mine has called um, Trapped in an Op. And, you know, every day I'm seeing more and more people saying, yay, I'm out, I'm never going back. And, you know, it's really impacting the, the flow of, of traffic in our offices. Uh, additionally, where we're seeing, and this is um, data coming from the ADA through the HPI, which is the Health Policy Institute, right. that patients, about 20 15 to 20% of patients are not coming back and they're not going to come back until, you know, there's herd immunity and that they feel safe. So that's impacted the production in many offices. Now, I've also heard about practices that have been doing stellar during this time. So if your customer service has not been good, if your cash flow was not good before COVID, all of those things are impacting you today. So if you had not paid attention to those little things before, it's really good idea to start paying attention to it now because patients are being very selective and they're only going where they feel safe. Absolutely. Uh, I think, uh, uh, you know, just in line with your thought, uh, one thing that I have realized is um, that, uh, you know, if, if your service and, and you had a great trust and customer relationship even before COVID, uh, you know, patients will still think that, hey, this, this practice is great. We've, we've always had great experience and, and that may, you know, just lessen the negative impact mm-hmm. altogether. Great. I and- think one of the... I'll, let me just express one of the positives that I saw because the ADA was, was successful in, in ensuring that we became essential healthcare workers across the nation. Um, I think that one of the things that has, has precipitated uh, uh, through this whole process has been that we are now being recognized more as um, providers of healthcare. And the time has come for us to, understand that you know the teeth are not separate from the body the teeth are a part of the body and you know this whole separation of teeth has you know just been a 300 year journey that needs to end you right. know the bottom line is you know we do know that that there are markers in the saliva that that can tell us whether somebody's going to develop high blood pressure whether somebody's going to have cardiovascular disease they right. just came out with some information about kidney disease, and they, we also know that diabetes can be diagnosed. So if all of these systemic diseases can be diagnosed in the mouth, then yes, we are part of the body. And yes, we need to be recognized for what we are, which is a specialty of medicine. Right. It just means that we're doing the teeth. Um, I do think that over time, you know, Main Street USA has dentists on it everywhere. You know, right. there isn't there isn't a community. It's it's very rare that there isn't a community that doesn't have at least one dentist in it. Now, rural areas, I know that they have less, but in general, most areas have at least one dentist in in the 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 radius of fifty miles. Let's just say, right. and so. You know, that is the location that patients go to on a regular basis. They're seeing us every six months. So why wouldn't we be the place where they go and they get their vaccines? Why wouldn't it be the place that we they go to have a blood test done and have that, that blood test evaluated by us? I mean, obviously, 
we need to have a higher level training for dentists with more medicine related to it, but that can that's easy enough to accomplish. What what I would rather see is is we don't need another high level healthcare provider in dentistry. We have hygienists that can be trained to do more. You right. know, it's just another level up and many of them are so intelligent and have done such great work with research and 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 content building around this oral systemic piece that we need to be starting we need to start embracing that. We don't need another mid-level provider. I re- I really believe that. Absolutely. Completely agree with you. And, and you know, uh, time and again, when I speak to, uh, you know, leaders within the dental industry, um, I'm given to understand that, you know, I would say even not the 55 to maybe even not the 45 to 50 percent uh, of patients still don't go to dentists. Maybe it could be an insurance related mm-hmm. issue. It could just be fear of the dentist. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like you said, that the positive is that we need to let people know and educate them that, you know, the teeth are a part of your body. I, I hope with that, that number drastically also reduces. I agree. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, since, since we're speaking about the positives of COVID uh, and, and we spoke about uh, the educational aspect, uh, just wanted to understand from your experience, uh, do you see any technological shift as well? Uh, for example, we've seen uh, teledentistry uh, pick up a lot of uh, interest in the last six to eight months. But is there any other thing that you feel uh, technologically or a process that changed and, and may just stay for the good? You know, I think it, it made us realize how much more we can get done remotely. And I think that that remote piece is, is you know, whether it's teledentistry, whether it's, it's having research meetings done remotely, uh, whether it's teaching done remotely, all of those um, advances have been had have had a significant impact, I think, on the industry. Oh, oh. And and uh, do you feel that this is uh, things that have shifted online are going to stay for good online if people are finding value in it? I think so. I okay. think so. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's. I think that's that's a very positive uh, impact in that case, and and hopefully mm-hmm. that can help uh, practices become a lot more efficient. I agree. And, and uh, you know, MJ, uh, one thing that uh, we hear time and again is that the DSOs or the group dentistries, uh, group dentistry uh, chains have been able to recover from COVID much faster than private practices. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, what do you think is the underlying reason for this? Uh, is, is there, is this, uh, you know, significantly true? Because we did see a lot of acquisition and, and, M- and M&A activity as well um, um, by the likes of Aspen, Heartland. Uh, so is there a particular reason why the private practices have taken so long or uh, is there any reason that's impacting them? Sure. I, I think that it's very clear that many of the acquisitions that the DSOs uh, uh, accomplished were because dentists didn't want to come back either. You know, just like the assistant and, and, and the hygienist, many of the dentists are, are older and, and they're like, oh, I've been through the AIDS p- uh, epidemic, uh, I'm not living through the pandemic of, of COVID-19. So they've chosen not to come back. They've chosen to close their offices or sell their offices to DSOs. And quite honestly, you know, the the one thing that DSOs have at, at their advantage and, and their competitive advantage is going to stay is, you know, they have scale. 
um, and they have lower overhead costs. So they could come back a lot faster because of the cash flow uh, than you know a single mom and pop operation. For example, if you if you think about the amount of money that had to go into increased PPE, uh, increase uh, changes in the aerosol, changes in the vacuum systems that we had to put in. All of those things cost money. Um, I, I think Tufts spent cr- probably close to $6 million trying to re- revamping their clinical operations. Mm-hmm. So, you know, think about that from a DSO perspective. You know, you can decrease the overhead cost because you have a lot more practices. But if you have one practice and you have to do that all by yourself and you didn't have really good cash flow, that was that was really impactful. Um, and I, it, it breaks my heart for some of those practices. I do know firsthand that some of the young dentists have lost their practices already because they didn't have the cash flow. You know, they were just getting there. They were just getting to that break-even point. And because they, they maxed out on credit cards or they maxed out on, you know, their borrowing, they just couldn't make it the, the last couple of months that, that they were shut down. So unfortunately they, they had to close, which is really, really sad for me. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. uh, hopefully things get back to normal soon and, and we see a, you know, uh, fresh new practices coming in uh, at places where they had to shut shut shop and and uh because of covid mm-hmm. and and uh mg you highlighted uh, you know of course dso's have uh, a lot of capital and and they you know probably they had enough capital to last uh, till vaccines came out but uh, is it also that dso's have dedicated teams to look at these problems and solve these problems which probably private practices do not have for example a strategy team somebody dedicatedly focusing on marketing to educate their patients so on and so forth Absolutely. I, I think that all of that makes a huge difference. You know, um, if a, a solo practitioner can't afford a marketing person, you know, you're losing out this now at this point because you absolutely need to have a marketing person on board to get the patient flow into your practices on a month to month basis. You just have to. Otherwise, you know, you're losing that patient to somebody else down the street because the it's just like the the greasy wheel, the um, squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? right. Uh, the more people here, you know, I think that I forget. I think it's seven impressions. You know, patients need to have seven impressions of you before they actually pay attention. So if you're only placing an ad in one location, like a newspaper, for example, that people barely read anymore, you know, you're not going to get the same you know engagement that you would if you have an Instagram account, a LinkedIn account, a, a Facebook account for your practices, and, and that you engage on a day-to-day basis with those patients. You, right. You're just not going to get it. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that makes a lot of sense. And I think you've clearly highlighted why the m you know, why the m activity took, took place in the last couple of months. Sure. sure. And and you know, a, a, a very interesting thing came into my mind, which I, I thought just around these lines. Um, you spoke about PPE and and a lot of capital going into, uh, you know, which the DSOs of course had the capital to spend on that. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that the PPEs and and all of these things did slightly, uh, you know, I would say edit or or change the processes that uh, DSOs or private practices have 
Uh, do you think the coursework at the at the universities also might change for the future that, you know, in general, you need to have your masks on, you need to have your PPE on, uh, or would that not impact? And, and that's just- Oh my shot. gosh. Yeah, the infection control process completely changed. We had to ramp, revamp every single thing that we did, every policy, every standard operating procedure. It all had to be rewritten. We had to reroute how our patients came into the to the- school um you know even today you know there was it, it, the lobby was really packed with a lot of people a lot of students right. and you know i had to turn students you know into the stairwell because i i just couldn't have that many people in the lobby all at one time you know one of the concerns that that large clinics have is you know if the department of public health comes in and and feels like you have more patients than your square footage allows they can shut you down in an instant so that's the last thing I want for the organization is, you know, we can't afford to be shut down any longer. We, we need to be producing. We need to be seeing patients. The impact of being shut down for that longer period of time actually really impacted the patient, our patient base a lot because, you know, grinding happened more frequently. You know, broken restorations still occurred during that time. We couldn't get to them fast enough. Uh, you know, breakdown periodontal health occurred during that time because we couldn't, you know, um, see our patients. Many of our patients are just starting to come back now. So, you know, it's a very interesting impact that that this whole time has had. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and just, along, uh, uh, just uh, along what you just said, that many of the patients are just starting to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one thing that, you know, time and again, I read and, and I see is that, uh, during COVID and even now, uh, patients are considering dentistry and and dental health, uh, dent oral care, just in case of emergency. Um, mm-hmm. Not everybody is uh, looking at it from a regular care, you know, regular mm-hmm. hygiene perspective, right? Even now, because they don't completely feel safe. Uh, do you think that that would still need a lot of education and and a lot of time, or with the coming in of vaccine, that there will be a certain inflection point where? People will just feel that, okay, now that the vaccine is there, we've taken it, we're safe, and now we can go back. No, the the literature is showing us and the research is showing us, um, and this also comes from the Health Policy Institute at the ADA. Um, Marco's team has, has shown time and time again over the last five years that dental spending is going down, and it's going to continue to go down. So if that's the case, you know, what is what is causing that to go down and what can we do to impact that? And I do believe that, you know, more and more it's because patients. Number one, I think that we've put ourselves out of a job. You know, fluoride has impacted the health of our dentitians for our children so greatly that we actually have kind of put ourselves out of a job. So if your dentition is solid and you don't have that breakdown, and then, you know, you learn to floss your teeth at a young age, then you're really not going to run into too, too many problems. And if you're seeing somebody every six months, well, you might go once a year now because you don't need to go every six months because you're doing what you're supposed to do at home. Right. You know, I've told patients that if you don't build up a lot of calculus on your teeth, and you're doing a great job taking care of them, you don't need to come in more than once a year. Um, that was, you know, contrary to, to maybe what my colleagues would do. But, you know, bottom line is I, I didn't feel the need. And, and if, if the patients were healthy, there's no reason for them to come in. Um, I do think that, 
you know, that has been one impact that we've seen. But what we do see in rural areas like northern Maine, northern Vermont, northern New Hampshire, is there's not enough practitioners around. So those patients go longer and longer and longer without care. And then they do end up having to spend so much more because they've delayed treatment for too long. Absolutely. Well, no, those are, those are definitely some really insightful things. And uh, hopefully not just DSO leaders, but also patients are listening to this. Just so then, just so they know that they need to take care of uh, you know their oral health as well. Mm-hmm. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, you know the vaccination and and you know there is news some states uh, have been allowed that dentists can uh, dentists are allowed to give the vaccine. Um, you know, uh, is is it very similar in Massachusetts as well? And and what does that process look like? So it's a it's you know. <laughs> When I think about this from the perspective of, of them finally allowing us to give vaccines, I just chuckle because you know nobody gives more uh, injections than a dentist ever. Um, physicians don't give as many as we do. Nurses don't give as many as we do. And last but not least, pharmacists don't give any as much as we do. So you know, for us to be considered um, as vaccinators at the end of all of this has been really um, finally um, relieving. I guess that's the best word because we should have been able to do this all along. Um, I do think that that's the positive that has come out of COVID. It's kind of pushed forward this, this idea that medicine and dentistry are not separate, that we are a part of medicine. We're just a specialty of medicine. I'd like us to, to see us go down that path. I don't want to go the route our medical colleagues have gone where, you know, we're, we're run by insurance. I'd yeah. like to see a point where, you know, our, our, our own practices can support our practices by doing their own um, dental service plans and providing that service to their patients direct rather than going through an insurance company. Why, why should anybody pay a middleman? Um, you know, I, I, I truly believe that. And I think that if we can get uh, the majority of dentists to head down that path, I think it's overall, it's going to be better for the patient, better for, for the dentist and better for the practices. I think they're all going to be healthier that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. And, and uh, I think that, uh, um, that uh, I would say that it, it just take a lot of education, but uh, you know the intent is definitely in the right direction. Uh, mm-hmm. I am seeing that there are a lot of membership plans uh, that are available with different DSOs, and and I think people are already thinking about it, right? That the relationship just should be between the dentist and the patient. Exactly, exactly. You know, dental insurance was started, I think, in the 1950s, around there at some point, and really, what it it is 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 more of a gift card because it's nothing like medical insurance. It it has nothing to do with it's not even considered the same as medical insurance. So for me, you know, when, when we, when they started in the 1950s and they offered a thousand dollar premium or $1,500 premium, that, that premium has not changed in what, 70 years. I mean, it's not, not changed at all. So, you know, what is the point of it? If it's not changed, if, if the, the reimbursement only continues to go down, Right. Quite honestly, you know, and and I don't mean any any disrespect to my colleagues in in the insurance industry, 
But the only one that's making money is the insurance companies, not the dentists, because the dentists are writing off so much of, of the care and the patients aren't really getting what they deserve. No, you know, there is no place for an insurance company to be making decisions on diagnosis nor on treatment. You know, that is between the patient and the provider. And quite honestly, we just need to get them out of the way. Absolutely. That's, that's the bottom line. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully things change for the better, although mm -hmm. it, takes, it takes time and, and effort, but, but I'm sure with uh, a lot of leaders thinking in this direction, things will hopefully change for the better. Great. Um, now that we've spoken so much about the impact and, and the changes from the pre-COVID world to the post-COVID world, uh, processes that change the impact, the positive, negative m and activity. Um, just want to understand from you, and this is more for the audience benefit. Um, uh, we spoke about, uh, you know, DSOs having so much capital uh, to essentially last the impact of COVID. And, and maybe private practices just ran out of capital and, and, and they essentially had to give in. Uh, just from your perspective and your experience, uh, what do you think practices can do bet to be better prepared, not just for you know another pandemic, but essentially for times like these, right? Where uh, for essentially for uncertain times where they don't know uh, what's going to happen next. So I think um, you know looking critically at overhead costs is very very important. Spend your money wisely. Right. Uh, make sure that your team is all aligned on the vision and the mission of the practice, because I think that that's where money can be wasted when not everyone is aligned as to where they're heading and what their their roles in that process are. Right. Um, I think that that one of the things that is critically important is making sure that, you know, we all look at, you know, our impact on each other, you know, and on each other in the practice. So, you know, if I'm not contributing to the highest level, that has a domino effect on everybody else. So, you know, looking at your team objectively and saying, okay, is, do I have the right people on my bus? And if I don't have the right people on my bus, okay, who, who needs to stay and who needs to go? Because if they're not going in the same direction that you're going and where you want to head, it's you're just never going to get there. So, you know, everybody needs to, it's like rowing your boat in the same way, right? Everybody needs to row at the same speed and at the, in the same direction. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, that reminds me uh, of what you just say. It reminds me of a very, uh, very famous uh, quote by Elon Musk. And, and he said that uh, when people ask him that, how do you accomplish such difficult projects and, and mm -hmm. things that, you know, most people may not even think of, he said, all you need to do is just make sure that when you're in a company, um, every employee, including me, we are a vector and all your vectors need to be aligned. And, and, yeah. and then essentially, you know, you would be able to crack even the toughest of problems. I agree. I agree. And I think that it motivates everybody when they, when they see each other working together. Absolutely. It's when, when the team is split or when the team is, you know, pulling against one another. No, I want this. I want that. You know, that's when things don't get done. And, um, you know, the infighting gets tiring and, and the politics get t gets tiring after a while. And, and, you know, either you lose great people because you can't get it under control because you keep a bad person on staff. Absolutely. Or, you know, eventually when you have the right people on the bus and the great people are there, the negative ones automatically leave because they can't stand it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Completely agree with you. 
Uh, well, MJ, we, I think we've had a great conversation and there is so much that I've personally learned from you and, and I'm sure that even the audience is going to learn so much after they listen to the podcast. Uh, are there any other thoughts that you want to share with the podcast before we, we wrap up today's episode? No, nothing really comes to mind. You know, I think that, that everybody needs to just stay positive. Uh, we are going to get through this. I see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I, I think herd, humid, humil, uh, herd immunity is what we really need to see happen. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm looking forward to that day again when we can all be together outside and enjoying each other's company and all of that. But we just need to keep it together for another few months in order to, to get from point A to point B. Absolutely. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. Mm. Um, well, MJ, it's been great to host you. Um, and, you, so uh, you know, there is so much that I have learned. Honestly, it's, it's just such a humbling experience. And uh, just for the audience, uh, in case you want to learn and, and speak to MJ, uh, we will share her contact details when the podcast episode goes live. And, and you know, uh, and, and if you have any questions or, or if you're stuck anywhere, uh, you can reach out to MJ. Thanks a lot, Thank MJ, you. for being on the show. Um, this was uh, this was a great conversation, and and I'm sure that the audience is going to learn a lot. Thank you so much, Amal. It's my pleasure. Thanks for listening to another episode of Amitta's podcast. Want to learn how you can reduce your new patient missed calls and grow your practice by forty percent today? Take a look at emitr.com.